the Jericho Network on Westwood One. Hey, this is Frank Hannon, Tesla's lead guitar player, and you're listening to Rock Talk with Mitch LaFon on Westwood One. This is Rock Talk with Mitch LaFon. Mitch LaFon. Welcome to another episode of Rock Talk with Mitch LaFon. Joining me on this episode from the band Anthrax is the one and only drummer Charlie Benente. And from Rat, or a new breed of Rat, it is singer Stephen Piercy. We talk about his new solo album. But before that, as always, here is the one, the only, the venerable Alan Niven. Good day, sir. Good day to you too, Mitch. How are you doing today up there in the frozen north? Oh, it's, it's, it is great. It's only raining today. There's no snow. There's no ice. So life is good up here. And I have figured out why you come back week after week after week for this, for this, well, I'm not going to call it torture, but for this wonderful episode is because every introduction, I call you venerable. I call you wonderful. I, I think you're just here for the compliments. Is venerable an STD? Oh, no, that's something else. (laughs) It could be. It could be. Yeah, a lot of these adjectives seem to allude to age as well, so there's a little bit of punishment that goes on here. But what are we we looking at today? Um, You sent me uh, something interesting about managers. I did, and uh, I'll just say that you do have a nice patina to you. You've got a nice sheen there going on, so it's great. But uh, we are going to talk about manager peter grant there is a new book out in fact it is the first ever authorized book of the late led zeppelin yardbird and bad company manager it is called oh by the way it is written by planet rock magazine contributing editor mark blake and it is called bring it on home peter grant led zeppelin and beyond the story of rock's greatest manager and it is, uh, well, in fact, the Times in the UK called it a juicy saga of excess all areas. And uh, as you would expect, they talk about well, groupies tied in beds in Hollywood hotel suites, Peruvian marching powder, um, God, what else? Uh, carrier bags stuffed with millions of pounds, which I think you sort of alluded to as well, where you, you as a manager were sent off with papers and stuff right i mean you've, you've told stories i don't know if that if you had millions of pounds in them but you had carrier bags that you were flying around with too back in the day correct actually no i always it was part of my philosophy that i would avoid handling money um at any price um that's what accountants were for and I wanted to be absolutely and obviously above board at all time. And if you're not handling the money, no questions can be asked. And uh, that's what you get a, a tour accountant for. You get them to handle the cash and, and deal with uh, getting the band to pay their incidentals at the hotel. But, you know, with, with Peter Grant, I mean, you know, the stories are endless and legendary. I mean, he was a bit of a lad, that guy. Um, God knows how much he weighed at his heaviest, but, you know, it was probably in excess of 300 pounds. And he was a bit of a bully. Um, He liked to beat people up and and bully people. And uh, uh, I had it on reasonable authority that the only person in Zeppelin who wasn't afraid of him was Bonnie. 
Bonham, the drummer, he was the only one who who would stand up to him. Um, but he was definitely a character, and uh, you know, I, I heard a story about him him having a a bicycle flown in or a motorbike flown in for for one of his kids, and he didn't like it, so he basically kidnapped the guy who flew it in on a helicopter until the bike was replaced. Um, he liked to get get his way. Uh, but that said, he came up with a couple of really smart moves for Led Zeppelin. The and one was one was keeping them off television, and the other was never releasing singles initially. And that that was inventive. That was really inventive and very confident. So on the creative side, you can look at that and go, well, yeah, he had a creativity. He wasn't just a, a bully and a buffoon. The the book cover and the book title refers to him as the world's greatest manager. Is that fair to say? And in sort of, in a more generalized sense, what makes a great manager? Because there are a lot of well, folks that go ahead. Well, I, I'm I, yeah, one of the biggest characters in rock and roll, and he came out of a period when there were people like him and Don Arden. And D. Anthony. I mean, Don Arden was known for always packing a pistol with him. Um, D. Anthony threatened to break Joe Cocker's legs if he didn't do the Mad Dogs and the Englishman tour. I mean, you know, there were some pretty rough guys out there in the, in, in the early days. Um, and I like to think that, you know, come the 80s, there was a little bit more nuance, finesse, creativity, imagination and style in management. And yes, I would take exception to calling him the best manager ever because uh, if I were to be put into a corner and say, who do you admire the most? I'd have to say it's uh, Peter Menchin, Cliff Bernstein, and Q Prime. Oh, I yeah. think they have been the best management that I've ever seen. And they were two people that I got along with really well and admired and learned from and did things with. And in that respect, um, even if I were as drunk as a lord and full of myself, I would still take my cap off to Cliff and Peter and would not promote myself, for example. Um, I would say Cliff and Peter are the gold standard of management. You know, and, and you're right in that sense because they have a stable of artists where they, they work and all the different bands, the Metallicas, the Def Leppards and everybody else they've dealt with have been put in the forefront. They've had an equal opportunity. I've seen a lot of management teams where they have the one star and then everybody else, they sort of go, oh yeah, I'll get to you when I have a moment and, and they don't do that. Where would you look at somebody like Rod Smallwood, who's been sort of a, I don't want to say a one-trick pony, because that, that, that is sort of putting down what he does, but he's been Led Zeppelin's guy for a long time. You've got Jane and... I mean, Yeah, what, what did I say? Led Zeppelin. Oh, see, there you go. No, I mean Iron Maiden. Um, you've got Sharon Osbourne, who of course has done Ozzy. Um, do well, they... I think, I, think, I, think, I think you're putting your finger on it um, a little bit. I, I, I sensed you were going to uh, you used the term one trick pony. Um, I would I would come at it in a slightly different direction because for me management was not a job. It was a way of life. It was twenty four seven, 
365, and you tended to formulate uh, the strongest relationship with your first or your first successful band, and that would be incredibly demanding, and it would be very difficult to find the energy uh, for more than one band uh, and not treat it as a clock in job and I'm I'm here at nine in the morning and I'm gone at five and you know if you manage to get me in that time I'll deal with something. Um, if you're really a committed as a manager, I think you've got to treat it as a way of life. For me, I I was really reluctant to take on GNR um, because I was absolutely committed to the very first band that I ever managed and committed to ensuring that they achieved some level of success, which I thought that they were talented enough to achieve. Um, so I got stretched pretty damn thin, but that there is a sense that, no, I wouldn't call Rod Smallwood a one-trick pony. Um, I would say that his most profound relationship was with Iron Maiden because that was basically his first band and it was entirely absorbing and he formed incredibly strong relationships with the band members and that's going to tell out over time. That's not to say that he didn't try working with others. I mean, he, he, he tried Poison for a while. Um, but Rod's, Rod's a, a no-nonsense, meat-and-potatoes northern boy. And I don't think that he took to living in Los Angeles that well. I don't think he enjoyed it that much. And I think he was far happier being in the United Kingdom and far far happier with the Irons. Well, and listen, you, you, you can't argue with success when, you've been, when you're working with a band like Iron Maiden for so many years. And OK, maybe back then it wasn't so many years, but you, you could see that they were on the uptick, obviously, from, you know, from 81 through 89. It was just a, a meteori meteoric rise. Why would you want to bother with somebody else? Now, if a young band comes to you now or comes looking for management, is it one size fits all? Can they go to Smallwood or a Sharon or a Peter or this? And is it all the same thing? What would you give as advice to a new band starting? Like, like how do you sort of make that that connection of? Is it just personalities? Is it is it having a game plan? As a young artist, do you look at the stable and say, "Well, they've got all these great bands, so they're going to give us greatness." How do you sort of? navigate the I'm, I need a manager and uh, how do I find one that's good for me and my band my advice would be if uh, if you can get the attention of uh, Bernstein and Mensch at Q Prime then try and get it because to me they are the exemplars of competence and efficiency uh, otherwise I might suggest look for somebody young He's got something to prove and who understands the band and is committed to it because anybody can be a successful manager when things are going well. What marks a good manager is the person who steers the band through the bad times and the rejections and the, the periods when they're not respected and gets them to a point where they are respected and they are earning a living. So sometimes you want to think about taking a chance with somebody who's got fire in their belly. 
yeah. things to prove. Yeah. And it's amazing because all the artists or all the managers we mentioned, whether it's Sharon, whether it's uh, Smallwood, and, and they've taken bands like Ozzy through the 90s where things were going and then whoop, right back up. Def Leppard through the 90s, whoop, and now they're... $97 million gross on the um, Journey Def Leppard tour this summer. I mean, not exactly bad times anymore. You look at um, Iron Maiden, Blaze Bailey came in, their fortunes, whoop, and they stuck with Smallwood, and now they're, they're, they're going to do that Legacy of the Beast tour in 2019, which will be, you know, stadiums and arenas sold out every night. So, yeah, they, they've, they've all stuck at it through thick and thin. Well, I, th I think there's another factor involved there that's worth mentioning, and that's the lack of new rock and roll bands that we've been able to connect to since basically the late 80s, early 90s. Um, I mean, in some respects, it, it's really disappointing um, when people look at me and go, well, you managed the last great rock and roll band. Um, I wish there had been more that had come through in that period of time. And because they haven't, then these long-standing entities have got a vacuum that they can fill, that they can still go out there. They're still you know, healthy enough to go and play. And people can go and get a, a good dose of rock and roll for their ticket. Um, going and seeing bands that have been around since the 80s. I mean, that's part of it as well. Yeah, it really is. And of course, uh, since we're speaking of bands that have been around since the 80s and all uh, talking about music makes us uh, euphoric, let us get over to Charlie Benente of Anthrax. They have a 30th anniversary deluxe edition of State of Euphoria, and I sit down with uh, Charlie, and we talk about the making of the albums, the times, the, the the moments, the recording, and all that. We do get a little bit of an update on what the band is doing now, and so without further ado, massive Kiss and Cheap Trick fan, the one, the only, drummer Charlie Benante. We are speaking with drummer Charlie Benante of the band Anthrax. They have just released State of Euphoria, the 30th anniversary deluxe edition. And uh, Charlie, always a pleasure. And just up front for the fans, we are going to explore the album in depth. Uh, might get a couple of quotes about, you know, maybe a Kiss Farewell tour where you are with new music. But it is going to focus primarily on State of Euphoria. But just always, always a pleasure to talk to you. Oh, awesome. Well, thank you. Same here. Yeah, so so let's start off with with this album, and, and and you know there's so many different places to start, and so many different questions. But you do among the living with with Eddie Kramer and 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 John and and George, and the album does well. It, it gets up to number sixty two on the on the Billboard charts. What was sort of the mo the the, the feeling going into State of Euphoria? You know, where was the band musically, and where did you see to see the next step going before you even got to the recording session and and the writing and like talk to me about sort of the 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 before uh, part of State of Euphoria. Uh, I mean, so basically, what was happening for us was we were on this uh, whirlwind of um, of total excitement and total acceptance, and and um, we were a real thing at this point you know we were a real band 
Um, you know, you saw people wearing your T-shirts all over the place at this point, and you really got a sense of, wow, I, we've kind of arrived here, you know, and uh, it's a great thing. And that momentum just kept going. And um, so Among the Living was one of the, it was the record that I always said that kind of gave us our career. Um, and then something spawned after that, which was the I'm the Man EP, which completely had a life of its own and was a, was something that was completely uh, unplanned. It was not planned that way, the way that that thing was received. So we were pretty much on a, on a high, you know what I mean? And that's where the title State Euphoria came from. I was just thinking about everything that had happened in the last year and the last two years and that's exactly where the title came from. Um, but then the pressure came to that, oh, okay, now you have to follow this one up. Um, and I think a lot of bands would understand my, uh, not just my, but, but our sense of reality, you know, like, okay, we have to follow this up and, um, you know, let's go. So um, that's what we attempted to do. When you start following up, because I know the record company now comes to you and says, okay, we're going to need songs that are probably going to get some more MTV play. We're going to need songs that are maybe more radio friendly. Do you go in and start writing these songs all brand new? Or do you start looking back at maybe some Among the Living Leftovers or some some of the previous albums and say, do we have any gems sitting around? What was like the writing process for? Was it really, we're going to sit down in a room, we're going to write these you know, whatever, 10 songs or 15 songs? Or was it sort of a collection of leftovers and, and outside writers? And just talk to me about just getting the songs together first. So there was never, ever um, any uh, record company pressure on us. And that's the truth. We pretty much had a clean slate of what we were going to do and where we were going to go. Um, there was never any pressure to write anything on the radio because that's not the type of band that we were anyway. And I think the record company at that point knew from spreading and among that a record sold was a ticket sold. Um, and that's the type of band we were. We were very, very, uh, you know, that street type of uh, sound where those kids in, uh, in, in suburbia kind of, you know, looked looked at our band and uh, other bands like us as their band. You know what I mean? They didn't go on the radio to look for us. They were just, it, we were just there, you know? Um, so there wasn't any pressure to do any sort of hit single or anything like that. And the collection of songs that happened from the beginning was we always knew that uh, I was a big fan of this band called Trust from uh, from France. I always wanted to do Antisocial. I always wanted to do the song Le Sec. And those two were supposed to go back to back. They weren't supposed to be two different songs. Antisocial was supposed to end, and then the other song was supposed to kind of continue, kind of like a, a Led Zeppelin heartbreaker, living, loving maid. You know what I mean? So that type of thing. Um, but it wasn't until the mix happened that the other song was left off the record and antisocial was just the only song. So it was pretty obvious that antisocial came out really well and it was very catchy. And the way we did it, we put our twist on it and, um, 
people just seem to gravitate towards that song. One of the other songs that was early on was the song Be All End All um, and another song called Make Me Laugh. Those were the, the first three songs that started to take shape uh, on the record. And then others followed. Um, and that's how it went. Talk to me just real quick about, about Antisocial and Trust, the French band, because, you know, here I'm up in Montreal, up in Quebec. Obviously, there's, there's a, a French... Uh, population and a French element to, to, to the city. And so we, we heard of Trust and we heard of other bands like that. How does a guy down in, in New York or Jersey or, or maybe in California at the time, how did that band and, and the lyrical content being in French come to you? Uh, well, the first time I ever heard Trust was on this uh, soundtrack for the movie Heavy Metal. Um, and Trust had a song on there. Um, and I loved it. It was just to me, that band sounded like a, a cross between punk rock and heavy metal. The guitar player had something about him that I just always took notice to him. And then I started to follow them. And I would go down in the village and go to Bleak Bob's and those type of import stores. And I would, you know, I bought the first Trust record, the second Trust record. And then they did one in English, which I was so happy about. And then Iron Maiden. I would see them wearing trust t-shirts because I uh, made and took trust out to support them. And that's basically how I got to find out about them. And I just love them. And, and, uh, and that's, that's how it happened. And I, I approached the guys and I said, I, cause they would always hear me playing trust on the bus and everywhere. So they knew the band and they knew some of the songs. And when I said, I would love to do antisocial, everybody was, really open to it well listen it turned out it turned out quite well after all these years at the time of course anthrax was a touring juggernaut i mean you were on the road with everybody ozzy maiden metallica etc 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 how much did did touring add to the to the album and how much did it sort of distract from the album and because I always got a sense from reading what Scott has said and others that the album was very rushed. And part of the reason that it was rushed is because you had to get on the road or off the road. And this talk to me about how touring played into the final product. Um, so basically I, I just want to clarify all this stuff because there's been so many things that have been said about this record, about why we felt it wasn't finished and why we weren't happy with it. And for the, for the most part, um, I'm going to say like 80% of this record we were completely happy with. There was a, a, you know, a smaller percentage that we weren't happy with, and that's because we just felt that we needed more time with it. Maybe it was a question of fixing some uh, something here lyrically, vocally, mix-wise, et cetera. Um, the problem that we were having was scheduling-wise. We had this huge tour that was going to happen in Europe. And that was a big monsters of rock tour that we could not pass up. So the record company at this point was giving us pressure to have the record out for that. And, um, it was basically scheduling and that's what it all came down to. So, yeah. And at the end of the day, I just wish we had a little more time with the record. Um, after revisiting it for this deluxe edition, the anniversary edition, started to appreciate it in a different set of years because I wasn't so close to it as I once was back in the day. Um, 
and I kind of got to hear it with uh, with different ears this time. And I really enjoyed it. And I heard it from the outside instead of the inside looking out, you know? Yeah, and I, and I think sometimes fans lose that perspective that by the time an album comes out, you've sometimes heard it for like two years and three years and you've heard all the different demos and at some point you just get overloaded with them and you, you just can't bear to hear it anymore. But I just want to just, I'll go back to, for example, Scott, you know, in his autobiography, I'm the man, the story from the guy from Anthrax, etc. Uh, at one point he says, I can't even listen to it. When I think back uh, about some of those songs, I feel sick. Uh, do you, do you think that that's an honest assessment from him and that, that he truly, truly feels that way? Or was that more of, you know, when he wrote the book, he just was having a b- bad day because it that is sort of a, a an incredibly harsh statement about one of the band's own albums? Oh, I, I mean, I think from his perspective of it, um, being that he was the, the lyricist, uh, um, he may have more criticism towards it than say I would uh, or some of the other guys. And I think uh, some of that backlash that happened towards the end of the cycle of that record, I think had a bit of an effect on us too, which in turn is why the record after that came out to be a bit darker than the state of euphoria record. You know what I mean? Um, And I think uh, during the state of euphoria time, I think things were starting to get away from us and I think maybe some of us felt that this was kind of becoming a little bit of a, I don't know, we weren't comfortable with things anymore. And almost like a parody of what we would were starting out to do. And I just think we had to regroup and say, all right, enough. We, we did this. We want to go back to the way we were, in a sense. You know what I mean? I think... The, sh- the shorts got out of hand. The goofiness got out of hand. Um, the stage performances, I, maybe? It just everything was just a little bit blown up to the point where um, I just didn't feel that we were in control anymore, you know? And uh, like I said, we just needed to kind of regroup. And I think every band goes through a period like that, too, you know, where it kind of gets away from you for a little bit. And you just have to be aware enough to know that all right let's pull this back a bit you know what i mean yeah well listen it 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 worked out in the end because here in 2018 the last few albums including worship and all that have been spectacular so you're, you're certainly back on track uh going back for this deluxe edition what were some of the options you had available? Because you've got the Statements of Euphoria, Charlie's Archives, you've got a live at the Hammersmith Odeon, a couple of songs. And so, uh, Was there an, an incredible amount of stuff lying around that you got to sort of cull through? Or was this sort of, this is what we've got in the vaults and here it is. And, you know, just talk to me about what was available to the band and, and how you sort of assembled this package and, and we got to where we are now. Uh. So a lot of the stuff is is um, is basically things that I've archived since since the time, and um, I never questioned what I had. I would just always take it and just put it away for a later date. And then when it came time to go through it, started to find things that I didn't even know I, I had. The thing that I wish I had a bit more of was um, better live recordings from that from that time. Um, uh, there are some video 
uh, there's a lot of video footage, but audio was the thing that I was sacrificing, you know, for this release. I couldn't find a lot of live stuff, which at the end of the day, I wish I had a little bit more of that. But what you do have is, um, it's like the way the Beatles did the, uh, um, the, 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 uh, what is it called? They did those three. I'm trying to think. Uh, and now I can't remember what it's called. <laughs> but basically, they took um, all demos and things like that, and they showed you how the song, you know, was actually realized. And that's what I was trying to do with this because I just had home riffs of me just playing the song, which would become finally or be all and all or whatever it was. And then I would bring it into rehearsal and show everybody and then we would just jam on it and kind of structure it and kind of arrange it and then it would become something you know and it, i was just trying to show how it went from here to there um and uh that's what to me i found was the most interesting and putting myself back into that that time frame and where i was and what i was thinking um because we were still young at the time too and like i said there was a lot of pressure to follow up you know that among a living record yeah there really was and i think uh, correct me if i'm wrong on the beatles i think it's those past masters volume one volume two right is that th those things um kind of like the cheap trick stuff uh, that, that, <laughs> that we were sharing the other day um yeah 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 in terms of other deluxe issues, because there there have been albums that you've done, and there's of course some albums you haven't touched. Is this, you know, sort of you're slowly rolling out deluxe issues as anniversaries come? I mean, the question is basically: Are there other albums that are going to get the deluxe treatment as the years go on? I mean, are we going to get a, a sound of white noise or a persistence of time or a stop? Like, is there other stuff well, on the burner? Definitely, you're definitely going to get a persistence of time because that's already um, and there's a lot of stuff that's going to be compiled for that one um, uh, so which was one of my favorite records to make was the persistence record um, it was such a great time for the band and for music you know what I mean we were I felt way more experienced and uh, even the bands that came up with us too had breaking moments at that point too you know uh, like metallica were were putting out the, the black album you know so things were totally changing and this was around 1990 you know and this was uh i think heavy metal was starting to become a different you know source for people it really was it was is persistence to you your best record or do you even believe in a best record because they all have a you know a a personal meaning to you that they might not have for a fan, but is there such a thing as a best record for you? I, I don't think there's such thing as a best record because it's, it's really impossible to say that. That's like comparing your kids um, to who's my best kid here. You know what I mean? Even though I only have one. So, but uh, the, I think the persistence record and the thing that was um, the vibe that was around it, I think was so so much more in a we were so free at that point to do what we wanted and we weren't worried like we were with the other one um and the tone of it was just kind of darker but i think that's because of what we dealt with 
the the prior year or two. You know, we also had a fire during that time. So um, we were going through just life challenges as a band and individually too, we were going through things. So um, I think that record is a complete reflection on, on us at that time. Yeah, it really was. Um, that came out in 1990. Does, do, do we wait for a 30th deluxe edition or does it come out sort of like next year? I mean, is there, what's sort of the, the timeline on, on that one coming out? Probably not for a bit. Uh, you know, I don't want to um, put that out prematurely. I want to definitely get the best of the best on that one and uh, make it special. And then, you know, next year we may have a real new record at, at some point too. So, yeah. So let's 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 start wrapping this up. And let me ask you just a couple of questions on 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 that. And also just the kiss thing. Uh, I think it's there, there's no hiding from the fact that you're a huge Kiss fan like I am. They are going out on this end-of-the-road tour. Uh, supposed to be no more touring. Who knows if they'll do a show like a Super Bowl or something down the road. But what does that sort of mean for you to see Paul Stanley and Gene Simmons and, and the rest of them walk off into the sunset and sort of end this chapter of, of, of our lives where we've had this constant band there always doing something? Um, uh, there's no secret in what, in what Kiss meant to me, um, from 73 to 79, um, you know, they were the ones I don't care what, I don't care if you're, you're a Kiss hater, you cannot deny the impact that they've had both on a, you know, me, musically speaking, I love all that stuff from that era, but just the way Kiss looked, um, you couldn't match the perfect, you know, personas for each one of those guys. They were just, it was just the right timing, the right place. Everything was just right. Ace was just perfect in that character. Gene was that character. You know what I mean? It's just like, it, it was somebody already arranged this and we were just there to kind of enjoy it. Um, so if you watch footage of them, say, back in 76, 77, you're going to see a band like you probably never saw before because they are just four characters that are up there doing something that really nobody else was doing. And to this day, I could watch YouTube videos and see them, and I still get goosebumps watching it because it's just electrifying. Nobody will be like that. Now, it, we, yeah, we'll never see it again. And and I know as, as KISS fans, we're passionate. And we've discussed over the years, you know, on message boards and stuff, this guy is, is the better guitarist than that guy. And this, but I think at this point now, it's just it's just time for a celebration and forget about who's better and who's worse and what's this. And just go out, see a show, say goodbye and 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 thank them for what they've done over 45 years which is absolutely incredible uh and then of course we'll we'll finish with with anthrax and new albums we've talked about it twice before but the last album of course was 2016 for all kings i know fans have been saying get it out get it out get it out the band i don't want to say is taking their time but you're not rushing it out let's put it that way where do you, where are we in the process here in october of 2018 are we getting to that point where the album is done and we can get it out and we can start talking about the new cycle and the new tour, or are we still taking our time 
making sure the songs are right, making sure the moment is right. Where are we in the process? Uh, the only, as far as it's gone right now is I've just sent demos to, you know, Scott and, uh, and Frank. Uh, they got stuff and we're probably going to get together after this Slayer run in Europe and start, you know, really tackling it and like really taking it serious and maybe get off the road now for a bit and concentrate on creating music instead of just recreating music. You know what I mean? Um, because uh, I'm at the point where I'm way overdue. I just have a ton of material that I want to see, you know, take shape and uh, make some new music because I'm, I'm hungry for it. And I think our fans are hungry too, but yeah, I don't want to rush it. And I, I want to make a record that is, uh, you know, that's going to be a statement and it's not just going to be another record that a band puts out. Like there's so much of that nowadays. I want to put out something that has legs, arms, you know what I mean? A tail. <laughs> I want it to just last as long as it possibly could. And just, uh, you know, enjoy these, 10 to 12 songs and that's just the way it is i don't feel like there's a uh, an importance of that anymore well you're right and and i have to say out of all the bands that i have followed over the years um there's a lot of them that are just putting out collections of 10 songs and here we go and now but anthrax is is one of them where for all kings worship you and judas priest by the way also with firepower they're putting out you're putting out music that's still vital to your career and and to to what you do and and so kudos for that and is there a pressure though to to get something out in 2019 or it, it really is it'll be ready when it's ready and that's it that's all folks yeah i think that's that's basically where we are you know that's our mindset is like when it's done then we'll put it out and not have something that's just going to be premature, like, uh, you know, like we might have done in the past. <laughs> right. Well, and, and by the way, I think a lot of bands, like you said before, have that same arc where you've done great, great albums, and then some you've done maybe were a little bit rushed, and then you tried something new and it worked out or it didn't work out. So, no, no, I mean, at, at this point in your career... um yeah, just it'll be ready when it's ready. And of course, uh, the band is always on tour. That Slayer tour that came by. Why when did that come by in Montreal? Uh, May, I guess. Uh, I think I was in May June. May yeah, May thirtieth or something. Phenomenal show. Unfortunately, you weren't part of the the Montreal one, but the band was 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 slamming as it always is. Uh, Charlie, always always a pleasure and. Uh, you know, let's let's talk again when the new album comes out. Let's let's do something for persistence of time, the thirtieth anniversary. Just just keep pumping out the great music and uh, like I've been telling everybody these days, you know, thank you for, for, for thirty years of being, you know, the soundtrack of my life and everybody else's, just like Paul, just like Robin Zander, just like all these people that have contrib- contributed to our pleasure and our enjoyment. Well, thank you. I really, I really appreciate that. You know, if there's one thing that music has always done for me has always been, you know, been our friend. It's yeah. always gotten you through something. And uh, there's not a day that goes by that we, we don't listen to something that either, you know, made us love this band back in the 70s or 60s, whenever it was, and, and till now, you know what I mean? 
And that's that's what I'm saying. Like, music is 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 your friend. It shouldn't be your enemy. Don't hate the the uh, the artist because you're not happy with their voice or or some of the decisions that they're making. If they made you happy at one point, well, you know, yeah, just give embrace them a break. it. Yeah, just embrace it. Yeah. I mean, listen, I'm sure there's Anthrax fans that love everything you've done, and I'm sure there's some that don't love everything you've done. But just be a fan. And enjoy what you like from the band, and whatever you don't enjoy, just leave it on the side. But celebrate what what is good and to be celebrated. And and Anthrax, by the way, uh, since we mentioned uh, farewell tours, there is no Anthrax farewell tour. There's no five year plan at this point. You're not like, oh yeah, by no. 2023, we're not there yet. No, I don't think so. I don't. That, that's never been discussed. And no. and and nor should it. <laughs> no. 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 When you put an album like Worship Music and then you follow it up for All Kings, you are nowhere near needing to be put out to pasture because you are firing on all cylinders. So keep wow. it going. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. Thank you, sir. We will talk again soon and uh, have a good tour with the Slayer and uh, we, will, uh, we will reconvene at some other time. Yeah, man. Thanks, much. Cheers. Bye-bye now. Cheers. You're listening to Rock Talk with Mitch LaFond. Rock Talk. Hey, this is Frank Hannon, Tesla's lead guitarist. Be sure to visit my website, frankhannon.com, to check out my latest solo album. And keep on listening to Westwood One's Rock Talk with Mitch LaFon. Crank it up. Now back to Rock Talk with Mitch LaFon. And a very big thank you to Charlie Benente of Anthrax, the new State of Euphoria Deluxe Edition is available now. I do recommend you pick that up. And uh, Sir Alan Niven, were you a, a huge fan of Anthrax, or, or should I say the thrash metal scene? I mean, was that something that piqued your interest? Because, I mean, Guns N' Roses was doing a harder rock. Sometimes, I don't want to say it was leading to the thrash, but there was a certain you know element of big guitars and big stuff. Was Was that scene appealing to you at all? I found it a little bit one-dimensional and white. Um, I have to confess that um, my predilections go back to New Orleans and Congo Square. And, you know, in, in my little room where I'm sitting right now, I have my Mojo Juju corner where I have pictures of you know, Howling Wolf and Robert Johnson and Jimmy and Willie Dixon and Muddy Waters um, <clears throat> to try and keep my sense of connection with Juju and Mojo. Um, you know the kind of thing I like. Just listen to the records that I'm associated with. Right. Kiss, Rat, ah. Ah. Poison... Well, Oh, sorry. I'm listing my I'm listing my favorites. I I do that sometimes. Mis mistake. Well, rat, rat's a little bit different because you know that you're talking in some respects about my next door neighbour, Bobby Blotzer. And when I was sharing a house with Don Dorkin, um Bobby was through the wall and right next door, and Robin Crosby, who I really liked, used to come around and set up a little practice amp and try and get some ideas from riffs from Don and you know we we were all scuffling together in our little scene down in the South Bay so you know we played shows with Rat and 
drank with rats and maybe discussed Peruvian politics with members of RAT. Um, and just a little bit of trivia for you. Uh, it amazed me to find out one day that Warren D. Martini did not own a Les Paul. So I got one for him. Oh. Um, you know, there so, you, go. you know, we, we were all local lads together. Was it, was there excess all areas like with, 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 uh, Peter Grant? No, but, um, let, let, let's just quickly talk about rat. They have rebranded themselves in the sense and gone back out there. And we talked about it with uh, Ziff and all that two guys, you know, listen, it, 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 I've been looking at videos online and uh, between the good and the bad, the crowds are still full. I don't know what kind of size venues they're doing. They seem to be larger rooms. They seem to be in the, you know, 900,000, 1,200 kind of rooms, and they seem to be selling them out. So people still love the band and love the song because ultimately it, it comes down, you know, people always talk about band members and original band members, and blah, 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 but it really comes down to the songs, right? Well, yes and no. I think I think all of us are pretty much the same. That if we see the original band, we're happier. Um, but if we can't have the original band, if we can get a credible performance of the songs that we love, then I suppose we settle for that. But in terms of uh, Rat today, um, having Ziff out there, Jordan Ziff, uh, Ziffy's a good player. Uh, made a record with him, and he can play with feel. Um, and he's a worthwhile person to go and hear play, and I'm sure he's being more than credible playing the rap material. Yeah, I can imagine. Now, of course, we have Stephen Piercy on the phone. He is not talking. Uh, well, he didn't call in for rat. Of course, we did talk about rat, but uh, he has a new album out called View to a Thrill. And it is a solo album. And of course, we, we talk about, well, you know, why not get together with Juan Cruchet and Ziff and all that? and make a new rat album but you know, so we discussed that and uh, I'll be upfront folks you know online there has been a couple of questions about a video and this and that and Stephen this I have known Stephen for for many many years uh, I do consider him a friend we talk all the time via text and phone and email and you know nothing to do with interviews and so I have decided in this interview to focus on the positive Focus on View to a Thrill. Focus on Rat moving forward. And, uh, you know, if you're looking for some kind of whatever interview, uh, might not be the, the one for you. But if you're looking to hear Stephen talk very candidly and very openly about his new album and the excitement of making new music and moving forward with Pete Holmes and Jordan Ziff and Chris Sanders and Juan and the new breed of Rat, then stick around because I think you'll get a, a great kick out of it. And uh, just before I get over to that, um, I just want to thank all the different sites that, uh, you know, uh, take the interviews and then put them on Blabbermouth, for example, Ultimate Classic Rock, um, Northeast Rock Review and all these places because I've seen my Paul Stanley interview and the Gilby Clark and Steve Harris and uh, Ted Nugent and all. 
and it's just nice that people are are appreciating it and 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 promoting it because it, it it does promote those artists, but at the same time it promotes me, and so I can't complain. So just a, a big thank you, and of course, uh, please keep doing it and uh, do it do it often, right? Because that's that's part of the that's part of the magic of all of this, right? So it's all one big happy family, right, Alan? I think you got a T-shirt there. Do it and do it often. I do. Well, actually, I, I do have T-shirts that say "Rock Talk with Mitch Lafon." Believe it or not, I had a, a whole bunch of them in every size: small, medium, large, XL. But I only have the XL and the L left. So, if anybody anybody wants one, just find me on one of my socials: uh, Facebook or Instagram or Twitter, and send me a note, and we we can make that happen. And I guess at some point I'll have all those other sizes back, but uh, not not today at least uh, but here we go let's uh, let us listen to Stephen Piercy talk about a view to a thrill and uh, if you were if you were around in the 80s 1985 uh, James Bond a view to a kill fabulous movie and I know my wife doesn't like the theme song by Duran Duran I did and so there you go here is the one the only Stephen Piercy. We are speaking with the singer Stephen Piercy. The new album is A View to a Thrill. Stephen, always, always a pleasure to talk to you. Pleasure. So, um, let's just get right into this new album. Talk to me about making a, a new solo album and, and working with uh, Eric Ferentinos and, and the rest of the boys. Well, it's always cool working with Eric. I mean, we have this certain uh, thing, I don't know, we just worked very well together, and and uh, uh, we decided, you know, we wanted to dig right into something after uh, Smash um, that would be just as diverse and different, and you know, and and took on its own thing. And so I came up with, uh, you know, a concept of uh, you know uh, making the, the the record like watching or listening to uh, a soundtrack of Bond movies, you know. Uh, there's a few songs that aren't associated, but there's uh, quite a few of them. There's many uh, um, mentions of, you know, stuff from the movies. And, and it was, you know, it was a thought process. It just It's not a joke record. It was written to to be, you know, to be in a movie, you know, and yeah. the new one of the new Bond movies. Is that something though that you'd like to move into, getting into more or getting into soundtrack work? Is 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 that something that mm-hmm. would interest you and start scoring movies, perhaps? Well, I did. You know, I did the uh, uh, that one show um, for ABC, you know, and. You know, we've written for some other stuff. I've written for racing, and and most definitely, that's what I would love to do. You know, I mean, I don't want to be running around there all the time. I mean, I've got to, uh, you know, got to get into some knee surgery real quick, probably the next few weeks, and that'll put me out of action for a few months. But well, okay, so so just quickly talk to me about this knee injury because this is, this is one that goes back to the. I guess the 70s, right? It was before even Rat sort of hit the stage. Just talk, talk to me about this knee injury because it seems to be slowing you down. It's, it's, go ahead. Those were like, those are, those are fever 
broken smash femurs before any band music was in that. Um, first knee out when I lost my kneecap, and then that will put you out of action. And while I'm out of action, I'm sure we'll be writing a couple songs. You know, we want to write some songs for for that uh, for next year. Juan and I, and, and uh, hopefully the guys will be involved, and so they will. And, uh, you know, take some time out and go up and prepare for battle again for next year. It's going to be a long year. You were, of course, mentioning that you want to get uh, some rap music going. Um, talk to me a little bit about about the desire to do that and, and bringing in these new members. Because, you know, Jordan Ziff, for example, has toured the world with Marty Freeman, formerly of Megadeth, and... Uh, was in a band called Razor out of Arizona. Talented, talented, talented kid. Um, talk to me about what he brings to the band and, and moving forward with a new lineup. Well, it's a whole new lineup. It's a, it's a whole new, you know, what I call breed of rat. It's, it's, it reminds me of the 384 uh, sound. I mean, it's just... It's just straight ahead. It's it's brutal. We're not, you know, walking around wondering who's doing what, and and it's exciting and refreshing. And 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 you know, Jordan, I call killer kid. I mean, he's just amazing. And uh, and then we have, you know, uh, um, Chris Sanders. We have Chris Sanders, who's amazing too. And he's literally playing the parts that it's supposed to be playing. And and then we pulled in Pete Holmes on drums. And it just gelled very well. You know, we are ditching some people. And some people wanted to, to do it. Some people didn't. And, but it all worked out for the better. Because this is exactly what Juan and I was looking for. You know, people are really, really into it. Not just... Yeah, making a paycheck or just saying, you know, I got to do something else in a few months or a year. So, well, yeah. Uh, well, and in fact, let me ask you about that because when you look at a band like White Snake with David Coverdale, he has changed people repeatedly, and it's still White Snake. L.A. Guns has changed people repeatedly; it's L.A. Guns. Rat changes a guy, and all of a sudden, oh my God, the whole world's coming to an end. Um. <laughs> right? I mean, talk to me about that. Why is it okay for David Coverdale to have 87 different members and Stephen Piercy has two new guys and, and it's the end of the world? Why is that sort of... Why, why that double I standard? At, I don't know. You know, the way I see it, it's, it's, it's funny. You know, Halford and their bass player, the original guys, and, you know, they pull in some other dudes and then, and it's all good. But, you know, we're two different animals, priest and rat, but I, I agree with you. It's, it's some people are into it and some people aren't. And, and if you're going to go out there and give it all you got, look, I went out there and did a show and I don't, I never canceled a show. I never have in my life canceled the show. So I didn't want to cancel a show because my feelings just didn't help. So, you know, you just go out there and do it, and, and and the guys we have now, they're just it's intense. I mean, we've had the best shows uh, a couple since a couple of days ago, and we have another one coming up. 
you know, so I really don't understand the, uh, the hoopla, you know, uh, more different kinds of bands that you've mentioned, you know, or, you know, some of us have, some of these bands have had hundreds of people in them and, you know, some of them only had a few, but it's not the end of the world. You know, it's, it's, it is what it is. That's all I can say, you know, uh, well, um, and you're right about Judas Priest. I mean, they bring in uh, Richie Faulkner and they bring in Andy Sneap, and the fan base mm-hmm. seems energized. They're like, "Oh my God, Richie's so amazing!" And, blah, blah, blah. and yet, uh, with all due respect, Jordan is an incredible player. I mean, he didn't go do this instrumental tour with Marty Friedman because he was some slacker. Uh, Razor mm-hmm. was a band managed by Alan Niven of Guns N' Roses, who had Mark Kendall in his stable and had uh, Slash. He thinks he's a great talent, so he's no, and yet, oh, he's in rat. Oh, well, they're all anyway. It's 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 bizarre, and and I will say for myself that I would rather see the band and the songs survive than never having the chance to see round and round live again, or never having a chance to see Body Talk live again. I mean, you know, you sometimes you just do what you can do. I mean, it, it's it's well, sure, and, and you know, all good things do come to an end, and. Uh, so this is going to have a lot of interest and, and, you know, I'll always be making solo records and, you know, one's getting ready to start something up. And like I said, we want to go in and do some rap music, some new stuff. And so, I'm, but it, it's, you know, it, it's up to the individual. And, and just because we're out there doing what we do, uh, you know, you're open to pop shots and, and, you know, people giving you shit and grief. And to me, it just, it means nothing. I do what I do and the best I can do it. And we move forward. Uh, and that's yeah. how Juan and I are thinking. We went, we're going to just move forward. And some people really don't want to do what they're supposed to be doing. So don't hold us back. You know, yeah. it's like I started the band. You know, uh, so somebody else doesn't want to play and or they want to cancel shows, and we're not going to let it happen. So, as you have it now, you know, I I call it the new breed of rat, just like it was in '83, '84. You know, so we're having a great time. You know, there's it's a no nonsense. We get along. You know, it's 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 unbelievable. You know. So, so let me ask you a couple of questions here about the new breed of rap. Mm-hmm. Um, there, there was a time in the sort of late '90s, early 2000s, where you and Juan weren't communicating, and things needed to be worked out. Has that been worked out? I mean, is it just sort of a business arrangement, and you go do the rat stuff, or has the friendship sort of rekindled? And it's like, you know what? Here's my buddy from 1983 and 1984 when we ruled the world and we ruled MTV. I mean, are we back at that place, or, or or is it just like, nope? I show up on the stage, I get my paycheck, we do our music. We, I mean, is it back to Not being sort of a all. team? Okay, a hundred percent team player. It, there was nothing that prevented us associating or talking. It was just a situation that I was involved with um, with these other characters, and you know, I brought one back in. He understood how really fucked it was, and 
the sun be dead, and then look what happens. You know, we start putting all the shows together, and and we get problems from one guy, and the other guy doesn't want to play or anything, and we're sitting around going, "What is your what is the purpose? You know, why are you even saying you're a part of this band?" if you don't want to be a part of the band, you know? And then you got these two guys fighting themselves and everybody's fighting and they're trying to sue us. You know, it just became this open bullshit of, you know, I said, he said, she said, they said, and sue you, sue me, blues, you know? But it's all over and said and done with and, and so, because one other person doesn't want to be involved, you know, it's like, well, there's the door. Don't let it hit you in the ass. So that's what happened. And we moved forward. That's all. Uh, you know, without getting into the, the legalities of this, we owe nobody anything. We just moved ahead and said, hope you have a good life. You know, hope you have a good time. You know, so- obviously you don't want to you know, be a part of this like like you should want to be, you know. You don't have the desire, then then we're not running on on all cylinders and you're only gonna make things worse. And that's what started happening, you know. Uh let me let me go over some of the rumors as the new the new breed of rat was coming together. The internet with Rife was in with, with rumors that you had asked George Lynch how how formal of an asking was it? Was it more like you were sort of hanging out at the rainbow and said, hey, George, how about joining us? Or was it like, no, a serious offer with lawyers and, and let's sit down? And Is it true at all that you had asked George Lynch to, to join the band? He was the, he was the first person I thought of, and, and we had conversations one and I could say that history, we, you know, and I've recorded with him before. And, and he was our first choice didn't come to a, a conclusion on some on some matters and you know I just did we just did a show with him a couple shows actually with him uh, and right. it, it's, it's it was no no it just, just didn't work out you know he's very busy he's in a few bands he's got a lot going on uh, he's totally respectable I mean he's just to me he's an incredible player and as good as anybody else I would say Jordan fit the mold. Right. You know, he's, we're letting them be, we're letting these guys be themselves, but please respect the music, you know? Like, you know, uh, 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 the guitars are playing the parts they're supposed to be playing, and giving respect to, to Robin's solos and, and you know, uh, the other solos. But we're letting them do their thing, you know. This is this is closer than it's 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 ever been. Even with the other guys in the the past, it's not been as complete as it should. It lost its 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 uh, spark, drive, luster, everything. It, it was like, you know, uh, you don't look like you're in a band. You're not playing like you're supposed to. So it got kind of like stale, you know, if you're in here just to get a check and uh, eh, whatever, it doesn't matter. Well, to us, it matters to a couple of us, 
You know, rat lives matter. (laughs) They they do. Um, And then I'll I'll move on from that, but I'll just finish with the one more guitarist. Jake Ely had had been mentioned quite a bit. Uh, Of course, he had been there in the beginning with you. Is that something that was entertained? No. That's just the internet going crazy. Okay. Yeah, there's a lot of of bullshit out there. It's it's unfortunate that people have to feed on, on, you know, some bullshit instead of the good things, you know, like I said, this is going to last forever. So people should, you know, they want to enjoy it, enjoy it and check it out and have a good time. To me, it's still the same. It's a party. It's your party. We're just there. Have a good time, you know, uh, you know, and then, you know, next thing you know, there'll be another solo record. There'll be rad songs. There'll be, you know, more studio stuff happening. Uh, I'm sure my, my race cars are out there. There's a lot I need to do. You know, the label is firing back up. Um, you know, I want to do more stuff for movies and TV. And and so, you know, this live stuff, it's going to slow down after a while. So we're gonna, it's going to be a very busy year and a half next year. We're going to do the whole world and, and take care of business. Yeah, and hopefully we'll get you up to to Canada. Just uh, of course. In in terms of new rap music, is is the next logical step a live album and having the fans sort of hear what the new band can can bring to the table via a live record, or is it really creating new music with this band and saying, no, here's this band and this sound and not trying to capture 1984 or 1985 and just saying, no, it's going to be 2019, and here is what Mm -hmm. this band sounds like today. Yeah, it's going to be studio stuff, and and we'll probably do two, three songs periodically. And we we have to... I have the same one and I as the band did uh, concept of Rat in the Beginning, you want to see us? Come see us live. You know, plenty of bootlegs out there—good, bad, ugly. Uh, you know, there's stuff that's terrible out there. I mean, look, if you put stuff on YouTube from your phone, you're not going to get the real effect. So uh, it's going to be new music. You want to see us live? Come see us live. Eventually, we'll put something together uh, with the history of the band. Uh, on on DVD, record, live, this, that, whatever it may be, uh, 40 songs, I don't know, who knows, but we've been talking about it for years. It will happen. We have all the tapes and all the videos, and and we just want to, you know, get the dust settled here, and, and it, it happened. You know, thank God all this bullshit is over with. Uh, but we're moving forward. Got a great band, got a great bunch of guys. The band's tight, and, you know, I've just got to take care of some uh, physical stuff with my knee, get a new knee put in, and uh, then uh, we move forward, you know? Yeah. Um, Are you still, do you still have a deal with Roadrunner? Do do you still owe them a record? Like, if you you got together and record, pardon me? No. 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 All right, so and then the knee here. Uh, I know we spoke about it before, but 
I, I know fans sometimes look at it and they go, oh, it's not true. And I've been with shows or at shows with you. And I saw you in Ottawa not too long ago. And you literally had to be helped up the stairs to the bus at the end of the show because mm. you left it all on stage. And there is this true, true uh, injury that, that, that just, you know, as we get older, myself included, things start hurting a lot more than they did 20 years ago. Uh, is it a full knee, knee reconstruction or what, what is exactly sort of the procedure you're hoping to get or expecting to get? And how long does that keep you off the road? Is it three weeks, six what, weeks, six months? Yeah. What I need to get my first, my right knee blew out. That was taken care of. It takes about three months, three and a half months. Uh, as that was happening, you know, the injury on that right knee, my left knee was taking the uh, brunt of everything for years, losing the kneecap. And it finally blew out like a couple months back and probably longer, but it's gotten so bad now. You know, it, it's just unbearable. It has to be taken care of, and and that's exactly what I'm, you know, what I'm doing. You know, I start uh, uh, pre-op procedure uh, next week, and hopefully, I'll get in there and get it done in end of the month, um, uh, January, and I'll be ready to go in three months. You know after some rehabilitation and this and that. It's just a process, but uh, that's that's part of the the program. Usually one knee blows out, the other knee blows out too. And so it's gotten really unbearable. And and it's, you know, it's nothing I can say about it except, hey, I don't cancel shows. I go out there, you know, I got this RoboCop brace and I just strap it on there and you know, hope for the best, you know. Um, recently, I saw Phil Collins, and he was doing the shows because he's got a back injury and a foot with a, what they call drop foot, so he can't walk, and he did it sitting down with the band around him. It was spectacular. I mean, it was absolutely magical. Is that something that you would consider doing just to get back into action quicker? Or is just be, Phil no. Collins came out, and he was honest with the audience. He said, listen, I can't stand, and I'm not canceling. Mm-hmm. No, that's not that's not for you. Yeah, I just did that on one of my shows, and and I had to sit down instead of like I was like sitting on the riser. And then we did a show, and I just said I'm not going to cancel the show. I'm going to sit on this. I'm going to sit down. First time in my life, it was it sounded it sounded I don't know how it sounded. I assume it sounded okay. So I'm told, but it's not it's not me. You know, I'm a frontline guy. I like going out there, going to war and going to battle. And, and you know, it's one thing if, if it's, you you know, you're obligated to do these mega shows, you're taking the bread, you know, and you, you know, uh, you got to do the Dave Grohl thing or the Axl Rose thing. Well, I'm, I don't have to do that. You know, I'm not in that position to, to, to you know, to say, oh, you need to go out there and sit on that because everything's in place and everything's done. And, and uh, we've already taken the, you know, the bread or the guarantees and you know, shit happens, you know, I mean, look, it, it could be a lot worse, you know, uh, as it has with, uh, 
other players. But I don't I don't need to dwell on it and I don't need any sympathy. I don't need to apologize. I just I just things just need to be in a better situation when the new band goes out there. We sound amazing and that's all we're out there to do. Is sound amazing. And that's it. Yeah, and, and that's that really is all that matters. Uh, just the the rehearsal process to get those guys was it was it a lot of suggestions or did was or did you know like was it right away like oh I got this tape from Jordan and we're good to go or did you audition like fifty guys to get down to this one guy because they do sound killer I mean I, I know people like to to say all kinds of silly yeah. things and and blah 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 but <laughs> they do sound great no it was a process we auditioned some people and and some twice uh, he was. Money that happened twice, as was Chris, and then we just made a decision. You know, uh, we asked some people, and they said no, and it was just like, well, I'm kind of glad they did. Otherwise, we wouldn't have this great band as we have right now. You know, I mean, this is no bullshit, and you know, these guys, not, these guys aren't fucking around. We're not messing around here. It is just balls out. So we're out there. You know, it's time to get out there and kick some ass and cut the bullshit, you know. Um, so that's all we're doing, you know, and it doesn't last forever. So we've got to like, you know. Yeah, enjoy it while but, you can. Uh, uh, and of course, uh, will there be a view to a thrill tour? Will you go out with the solo band or, I mean, are you still splitting time or are you now focusing on rebuilding the rat brand with these new guys? Or is it like, hey, Eric? It's our turn to go for six months. Well, you know, I'll start there doing shows if we're not out there constantly, consistently. But we will be doing more of the world, uh, call it War of the Worlds, uh, next year um, with Rat. But there are going to be some solo things, and we will go out there and, and promote the record as we're doing right now with, you know, you to it through with you. Uh, the record's amazing, and and there's a song called "Not, uh, Not Killing Me" on View to a Thrill, and I was fortunate enough to to run into Robbie Crager from The Doors, and he's doing a solo. He did a solo on one of my songs, and it's incredible. It's insane. You know, it it sounds like The Doors. As soon as he does a solo, you're going The Doors, you know. So I was so fortunate enough to to have that uh, happen, you know, him just come in and do a solo, it's just, uh, it just blew my mind, I was like, oh my, you know, thank you very much, you know, very respectable. Yeah, I saw that on, uh, I guess you had posted a picture on Instagram or on Twitter, and it was like, oh, look at that, mm. um, so, yeah. so, so, what kind of thrill was that, I mean, I know you just explained it a little bit, but I mean, it is a guy from the doors, and it just... Uh, not, I guess it's not killing me. The song track seven, it just adds right that that little extra something, and he and he's very very distinct in the way he plays, right? Oh, his style is crazy because as he's playing a as he's playing slide, he's bending notes and hitting other notes, and and you just let him just let him go to say here's a song, have at it. Eric plays the out of that solo. But he does these tags all through the song, and he does the, the the intro solo, and right away you're going the doors, unless you're from 
outer space, you know, uh, uh, we don't listen to real music, uh, but it's just brilliant. I mean, it's, I'm speechless when I talk about it because it's Robbie Craig from the chorus, you know, it's great stuff. Uh, Steven, uh, thank you so much. Great, great time talking to you. And of course, I do wish you the best with a view to a thrill. Smash was great. And, uh, you know, listen, uh, for the fans out there, just go check out New Rat and, and forget about all the nonsense. Just sort of close your eyes and listen to the music. You won't yeah. be disappointed. I mean, I, you really won't be disappointed. So there you go. No, and you can keep your eyes open, too. <laughs> well, I don't know. You got one guy wearing a lumberjack shirt. I'm not too... Th- no, I'm just kidding. Um, no, but, but the... <laughs> Yeah, no, but but that's Jordan, by the way. Uh, but no, it's it's. Uh, listen, the, the the band sounds great. The songs sound great. They're performed the way they are, and of course, you've got the voice, which, like every band, yeah, and, the and voice. It, it, it's interesting. These guys all have their own fan base, which is which is even more amazing because it, it, it it's it's back to basics. You know, it's it's a good good time. It, it really is. We're having a great time, and, and that's all that matters. We're always while we're here and just enjoying ourselves and giving people what they should get, you know, yep. uh, a good sound, you know. Yep, I agree. Good Thank representation. You. It really is, and uh, there you go. Thank you, sir. Merci, as we say up here. Uh, always a pleasure. All right. Thank you so much, Mitch. Cheers. Bye-bye now. From the Westwood One Podcast Network.